You are listening to The Natural Philosopher with Dr. Mick Pope, a podcast on science, the environment, and the Christian faith. This podcast is written and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations, acknowledging that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Well, welcome to another episode of The Natural Philosopher with me, Dr Mick Pope. This is episode 33, which is quite a record. Yes, that's a really bad pun. Apologies if you're a millennial and you don't get that. I'm carrying on this week from the interview that I began last week with my friend Matt Stone, where we're talking about Forest Church and what are pagans and Matt's experience of relating to pagans, sharing with them and learning from them as well. So if you missed last week's episode, go give that a listen. Uh, if you've already listened to that, well, without further ado, here's my ongoing conversation with Matt. Is that, and there's a couple of things, again, buzzing around in my head. I like, people don't want to spend time on a Sunday morning listening to a bad sermon or hearing really badly played music again and again and again. So there's the, yeah. the tension between professionalism and I play, like, I'm not very good particularly good guitarist, but I play in a group with some really good musos and it's really intimidating and I'm forever, oh, mm. you're going to change the key on me again. <laughs> I better scribble down the chords or, you know, I really struggle to, to fit in with that. But I appreciate that they want to set a high standard because, um, I don't know, is, is it a consumerist attitude? You don't want to turn up on a Sunday morning um, and be there unless you're, you're grabbed by it or is the fact that, well, why would you if you're not going to? On the one. I think the size of the, the group can have a big impact there. Yeah. Um, you'll see in, in smaller churches they're far more forgiving of, uh, you know, unprofessional because it's all, it's all about the relationships in the smaller churches where in, you know, the bigger sort of concert situation, um, you know, somebody singing out of key, oh, that's the mortal sin. Um yeah, the forest church is much more on the smaller end of the scale of, um, like, one thing I often I often um, run fire pit nights, um, particularly during the darker months of the year, and um, you know, on many of those we'll do we'll do drumming circles, and it's an all in. You know, whoever wants to no matter what the level of professionalism. Uh, and so we've had 10-year-old kids jumping in on, on drums and, and um, all sorts of different levels of ability, um, some being exceptionally good and some it might be the first night they've ever tried it. Um, the good thing with something like um, drumming, and I'm talking djembe drumming here, the African drumming, um, is that you can you can kind of layer it so 
somebody who's never done it before, they can just do a simple rhythm. Um, as long as they can kind of keep a beat, that might be enough. But then you can have your far more uh, experienced players, they can weave in and out of that beat. And um, it's more the cumulative effect. Um, it kinds of, it's a layered approach to music that builds on top of each of the instruments, build on top of each other and you can jump in with guitars and sing and everything too. So some of it can be quite spontaneous and we've, we've had some nights where it's just kind of all, sometimes it's been a bit shambolic, but other times it's just got kind of kicked in and we've found a groove and it, and after we've all finished, it's kind of, oh, wow, you know, did you feel that? Like, wasn't that cool? That that just, the music sort of finds a groove of its own and you just all get carried away with it. You and, know, yeah, that, I was just going to say that really gels with my sense of how divine sovereignty works, <laughs> you know, mm. as, as opposed <laughs> to the really well-polished, practised um, performance, the, 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 um, the real not quite cacophony but well not cacophony but the 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 theme that that and the the way in which different elements gel together and something that seems chaotic but really when you you and then they you, you say you have that experience of whether you yeah, feel it's that it's kind of a gestalt sort of yeah thing sometimes yeah what's your experience of where other christians are coming from when they arrive in forest church are they burnt out by the mainstream or, you know, they're fed up? Or, you know, what sort of people are you you're meeting? In yeah. Those circles? Um, and we'll talk about non-Christian people in a minute. Yeah. It's, people can be coming from very different directions. Um, some people can be burnt out, certainly. Um, other people are just looking for and, – and people – People can be looking for different things. Like um, generally, if you want to be involved with something like this, it's generally nature lovers of some description. Um, but some people are just looking for something to supplement their regular church experience where others are looking for something completely different to the regular church experience. So it... Um, yeah, it can. It's different strokes for different folks. And uh, um, my friends in the UK, they've they've reported similar things. That that yeah, it. it um, I should mention there's some groups in America and, and other other countries as well. But yeah, it um, people can be coming from all sorts of different directions. I mean, I, I, me, I yeah, they go. On, please. Yeah, me. I, I tend to be at the far end of that. That I, yeah, I find regular church really difficult, and always have. But um, I've stuck with it at, for you know for a fair bit. But um, it's always been a struggle. But um, and so I've always needed other things to complement that to to kind of get by. Um, whereas other people are, yeah, they they more happy to just wait at the edges and um and that's fine that's fine too i was just wondering whether or not there was uh, an experience of what you hear in the u.s is the the so-called ex-evangelicals uh those that you know they're they're on the way the radiating away from a center and i guess mm. i think you and i and a number of listeners would agree that how highly problematic that center is 
that they're radiating mm. from and some are going all the way to the margins of faith and some are crossing that margin um, yeah uh, i read it i saw an interesting thing recently that um john piper's son is on tiktok uh oh, yes I you saw know, that. <laughs> and uh he, he's very ex-evangelical or anna jane joiner uh who yeah. is a climate activist and she was in years of living dangerously the climate change series uh her dad's rick joiner uh, and all her siblings, none of them would describe themselves as evangelical, but mm-hmm. they're all followers of Jesus that I can perceive. So I guess I'm thinking whether or not that Forest Church is um, either has been or perhaps in some senses is a useful um, way station or new home for people who perhaps um, either have, and I don't know if you, what you think of this phrase, have the spiritual ADHD that it sounds like, you know, you, you're restless in traditional church yeah. or or people who have such profound problems with um, more conservative Christianity that they they're fleeing and maybe it's the sort of place where they can stop before going all the way out as it were. Yeah. I I think um, there's certainly, you come across people that are deconstructing that they're on that kind of journey. Um, You know, where I, where I come across people like that, I, I try to, to help them point out, things I, I think are helpful and things that um, can hopefully assist them in their journey. Um, hopefully at some point they'll get to reconstructing <laughs> um, after the deconstruction work is done. Um, look, at, at yeah, people can be on very different journeys and, and yeah, some people, once they've, they've been on, if particularly the more fundamentalists the, the place they've come out of, generally the bigger the pendulum swing, I see. Um, and to find a place of stability often takes a lot of swinging around. So it's, it's, it can be a difficult for journey for them. It can sometimes be a difficult journey for the people around them. It's, it's, it's something that I think requires a lot of patience and, and um, a lot of time. Um, and I think Forest Church can potentially be uh, a place where they can work through some of that. Um, me personally, I, as, as you know, I don't actually call myself an evangelical myself. Um, I, I don't tend to go for any labels <laughs> these days other than, other than Christian Um because yeah, I, I find my own my own background so eclectic. I don't I don't think I can put a label on any either. But um, we're certainly there's people coming from different directions of you know some have come from a more liturgical background too. So um, it's not necessarily all evangelicals or even all Protestant. So, um, yeah, it can, it can be a varied mix of people. Okay. Let's, let's change tack now a bit. And, you know, we've, we've talked a number of times just for benefit of listeners off, off camera, off microphone, as it were, about the two sorts of mm. people that you come into contact with. And the other one is this, it's an anathema, it's a swear word amongst conservative Christians, this word pagan. I wonder if you can talk a bit about what that actually means and maybe what it doesn't mean and the sorts of people who, you know, being post-labelist, 
to apply another label. <laughs> uh, you know, the sort of people who would identify with that that you've run into, and particularly in the context of Forest Church, but not exclusively, and the sorts of mm. conversations you have, relationships you have with them, and so on. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Pagan is, um, it's hard to pin down uh, what people mean by that. Generally, it means polytheist. So, uh, worshipping many gods, though worshipping is probably not the most helpful word. Um, the pagans themselves might talk about working with different gods um, and might, um, there were many who say that we don't worship, we just work with them. So it's, it's yeah, the language can be problematic, um, but, but um, pagan, pagan is kind of an umbrella term um, which is partly why it's so difficult to define it, but it's an umbrella term that uh, covers a whole lot of um, different uh, traditions. So that includes um, witchcraft, druidism, heathenism, which is kind of the, the Norse um, pagan. So, um, you know, Thor... Um, so, yeah, I, I know people who work with Thor as a deity. Um, Which is a um, um, bit of a, that has, uh, presumably not the people you, you mix with, but that's come to have more of a white supremacist overtone, hasn't it? And, well, yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about the Marvel Universe. Ah. That, that also... <laughs> That, that creates some interesting issues for them. Uh, <laughs> having to explain that, you know, the Thor in Marvel isn't quite mythologically accurate. Um, but, yeah, within, um, within the heathen community, yeah, there's, there's, there are white supremacists. There are also anti-white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually find that... Um, quite a bit of, uh, you know, I feel quite a bit of affinity with some of um, the heathens who are fed up with white supremacists invading their religion. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have the same yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so very true. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, but, yeah, so there's pretty much any pantheon that you've heard of. So, so there's people who go for the Egyptian pantheon. There's, there's um, what you're really talking about is um, indigenous European religions mm, okay. in many ways, um, which um, kind of, that brings up all sorts of interesting things when we talk about, say, Druidry in Australia. Um, one of the people I know, uh, Julie Brett, she's she's got a book on Australian Druidry and she's working through, you know, what that means in an Australian context where um, Druids aren't the Indigenous religion of the land that that. Aboriginal people are and how you be respectful of that and what does it mean to work with the land here, which is actually quite different from from that in the traditional Druid land. So 
Um, so there's a whole lot of work going on there, which I find fascinating because in some ways I'm trying looking at doing the same thing myself. Um, so in other words, uh, and this is not necessarily Robert Warren, we'll have time to go into at least this time, that yeah. paganism in Australia is every bit as colonial as Christianity. It, it can be at times, so, mm. yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of them that are consciously working through mm. it, though. Um, More so than the church, do you think? At times, yeah. yeah. For example, um, uh, working on the Wheel of the Year, that's um, the pagan festivals. Um, so one you would be familiar with is Yule. Mm. which is the equivalent of the Christmas. Now, pagans in Australia celebrate Yule in June, not December. <laughs> and similarly, um, one of the funniest things is Halloween because um, people talk about how, you know, Halloween witches, they all go together. Um, well, the funny thing is that witches in Australia and indeed most pagans celebrate um, Samhain, which is the, the more ancient word for Halloween, um, they celebrate it on May 1st. <laughs> so, so everyone is practising Halloween uh, on October 31st in Australia, except for the witches, Interesting. <laughs> which I find quite amusing because they're, they're actually celebrating Beltane at that time of year, which is a completely different. That's, that's the festival for the approach of summer. So, um, yeah, which um, which is appropriate in you know September at the end of September, mm. um, whereas yeah, Halloween's actually the the um, the approach of winter, which yeah, celebrating that in September just doesn't work for for pagans because it's out of tune with the seasons. Mm. So they're looking to. Um, uh, recalibrate things in line with the, the seasons of this country. So that's partly where, um, you know, in terms of my own journey with Forest Church, that's very similar in thinking of, okay, well, um, what does it mean to um, celebrate fish, Christian festivals in a way that's more in tune with the seasons here? Uh, one thing I refuse to do is put up fake snow in December. Yeah, fair call. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. We st and we still use um, we're pine trees, and I think we've got native pine trees. But it's again, how many people put in a, a eucalypt in their, their house? To it's just all the symbolism is very different, isn't it? Reflecting our um, our weddedness to. Empire, I guess, in the same way we still have a Union Jack on our flag. Yeah, 
The and and paganism, you know, one of the things I've learned with that uh, with pagans, they they're very big on symbolism. They're very uh, they're very intentional about it. They understand the power of it. Um, I think in many ways Protestants are symbolically illiterate. Um, I think that's a bit of a product of the Reformation, with all the uh, you know anti iconoclasm and all, all of that. That Protestants just don't, don't understand symbol too well. Um, I think the obsession with music, though, is an attempt to and and to go back to what I was saying earlier. We try and create sacred space on a Sunday. Uh, and yeah. Protestants would do it with the word primarily, but we also do it with words in music, you know, so it's the performance, yeah. the production, whatever. Yeah, that's very much so. Yes, it's, it's very much, um, yeah, they try and do it with words and music. Um, but I find that com- Protestants tend to be completely out of depth if they're forced to shut up. So to try and create sacred space in silence um they generally don't know what to do um and that's where i find other traditions like um orthodox and catholic can can there's things we can learn from them Mm. um because they do understand the power of silence and the power of symbolism a lot better um than protestants do um which is a shame um because the symbolism right through the Bible, um, and also there's there's uh, various passages which speak to, um, to God um, being beyond words. In fact, the whole gift of tongues kind of encroaches on that, that territory. Um, but yes, I, I remember with a with a uh, there's a couple of people I I organised some tenebrae services with on a couple of different occasions, and um, it's supposed to be a servant of silence, service of silence. But even so, we found it way too wordy. Um, the templates we were given, so we ripped out half of the content and slowed it right down. <laughs> right, right down further, uh, and uh, felt that it was. Silence can actually be really powerful. But in, in trying to get Protestants to understand that, well, we introduced that with a whole lot of scripture verses where it talked about um, the word who was beyond words. And um, so it's a bit of a jujitsu move there with <laughs> Yes, I appreciate that. Using, using scripture to explain to people why they should sometimes just shut up and listen. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's so very, yeah, non-Western, non-Protestant. We are very um, word-focused. I know I would struggle, and I think I could probably cope with silence a bit more if it were Forest Church, if I w- could hear birds mm. at least or, or something. It's that awkward silence of we feel we should be speaking, but we're not. Um yeah. So creating that shared space of giving people permission not to have to talk um, mm. is probably what needs to be done. But yeah, um, so what and it's, and it's, learning, it's learning to actually hear God through nature. So yeah, what what might that bird be have to say to you? Um, I mean, when we think about it, you go to scripture and hell, it's got talking donkeys mm. um, <laughs> now. 
we could we could dismiss that as as a uh, you know Shrek before it was cool, but um, <laughs> you know it's it's like well think about it for a second. Um, if we if we put on a more animistic hat for a second, of you know why can't God speak to us through animals? Um, there's the story of um, Elijah and the ravens. Um, where they bring him food and um, there's various different ways where God interacted with people through animals in scripture. And it's like, you know, and this is where, as I was alluding to earlier, listening to other traditions, it can bring us back to our own tradition and look at it from a different direction is, is that if we're open to it, it's all through scripture, God engaging with people in those other ways of um, presenting them with a rainbow or, with all sorts of different phenomena and they, and they grasp that, that God is trying to tell them something through this. And I think it's um, there's some benefit for us in just sitting back, um, stopping for a second, stop talking for a second, actually listening and say, what could God be trying to say to me through this? And But also respecting that nature itself has a voice um, that just as God can speak through your friends, and that doesn't mean they lose their own individuality, um, God speaking through nature doesn't mean the creatures of nature lose their own individuality either. They're, I think of them as being our non-human neighbours. So um, when God tells us to love God and love our neighbours, um, <laughs> I, I take a more inclusive view to that, and um, I think that yeah, what 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 can our neighbours be saying to us? And so it's also listening to their voice too, and sometimes their voice is a cry of pain, and um, learning to hear those voices, I think that's important too. Romans eight, and I think of the testimony of was it beekeepers who went to forest and heard after the terrible fires that we've been through and heard the screams mm. of wildlife, um, which just must mm. have been horrific, uh, the literal groaning of creation, uh, suffering under our, our mismanagement. Mm. Um, look, just to, I suppose, cap this off, we've, I think we've talked a lot about hearing voices in the other, uh, or, hearing, or rather hearing the voices of the other, be they other Christian traditions or other faith traditions or belief systems that are from what i hear you saying are constructed and and have different vocabularies and ways of a different religious and social imaginary to, to christianity but i wonder if we might finish with your presence amongst pagans and, and being part of uh, associated with pagan communities or being embedded in those mm. what you bring to those do you think um and you know what it means for you to to, to relate to pagans because I've heard a lot of you saying it, and I think this is incredibly valuable of what you learn from them. Mm. Given uh, the damage that conservative traditional Christianity has done to the environment, given the way in which pagan mm. is uh, uh, a byword and an anathema, what do you see your role in you know, the pagan communities in which you you inhabit as a Christian person or, or a yeah. follower of Jesus? I think there's a, a number of dimensions to it. Um, I think in many ways 
um, what I'm practicing is a ministry of presence. Um, sometimes it's, it's not necessarily about achieving anything. It's about being someone in that space. Mm. Um, I find that being in that space, I often have people ask me questions about Jesus and Christianity and, and, and different aspects of faith. Um but that's on their terms. It's not something, um, you know, I'm not preaching anyway. And in some ways I think that's probably why people are more open to speaking to me. Because, um, again, I think pagans are very attuned to sort of any arrogance um, in any Christians and that would that's an immediate turn-off. Mm. Um, so... Um, I'm also very much interested in um, peacemaking. Um, so I've also had some involvement with um, Muslim and Christian dialogue as well. And um, like when September 11 broke out and, you know, there was, there was all the, the hostility between Christians and Muslims at that point, I just find it kind of... I found myself yelling at the TV one day and I thought, I've got to be able to do something more constructive than this. And so, I jo- so I joined up with a forum to learn more about Muslims and um, eventually I ended up being asked to be one of the moderators. Um, and I find this great value in dialogue between different traditions and building space where you can have constructive conversations. Um, and, and the same with in engaging in a pagan with pagans as this Christians and, and pagans. There's been a lot of animosity over the years. Um, uh, Christians are all too quick to remember pagans feeding us to the lions, and and uh, pagans are all too quick to remember um, Christians burning witches at the stake. Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of horrid things done um, in the name of religion um, over the years and I'd like to think, um, you know, when I, when I look at Jesus and I see how he engaged with the people around him, he, he went to the people who um, the religious folk of his day didn't want a bar off and um, I kind of feel that this is my way of trying to live that out of saying okay which is a kind of spiritual lepers as far as a lot of Christians are concerned these days and um, uh, I find that for whatever reason um, you know, I I find uh, engaging with them uh, is is something that I'm good at. I like and and um, I find I can be useful. So <laughs> it yeah, it's uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, you know I'm not looking for um, necessarily results. I think if if you go in with a uh, agenda or whatever, I don't 
you know, I'm not interested in some sort of bait and switch type of situation where that some Christians go, you know, go into dialogue with where they're, they're just going to just say, oh, you know, I can quickly turn them into a Christian and put the stamp on the, <laughs> and say, yep, uh, I find that um, that's not necessarily helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, not always honest either. So um, I, I think it's um, just far better to just be yourself and, and leave leave whatever up to the spirit of God. So, and two, I'm guessing there's obviously it, it's. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We'll come back to to what you're saying. Is I've done Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for 19 years, and I've been part mm. of the gym for a decade, where the ethos is explicitly. You know, the culture is explicitly shaped by a person who's a Christian who says they're a Christian, that they, they want us love, serve, uh, love and serve mm. others. And, it, you know, it's the goal of the gym is not to convert, but it's to be present in the thing that we unites us, that we love because we genuinely yeah. love it and want people to advance in that, but also in the fullness of life, come to faith and it opens up conversations. So in, and your interaction with pagans that the shared space or love is the, the creation, uh, the non-human yeah. reality. Yeah. That's and very it's a, much that. Yeah. And, and, and your love and for the, it is genuine, right? It's not, a, yes. not, as you say, a bait and switch. It's not a show. You're not there uh, because you want to trick people. You're there precisely because you share that same love and passion. But yeah. We, so from we, different frameworks. Yeah. So I have, I have a particular love for birds. Um, and um, I remember last, um, I think it was last Easter, I was sharing um, how the magpie, um, for me, it's, um, it's a bird that symbolises the, the equinox, the spring equinox. Sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't Easter, it was Ostara, which is actually different time of the year for pagans <laughs> but um yeah it was the spring equinox and i said how um i think the magpie is a bird that kind of symbolizes that for me because it's it's equally black and white so it's kind of the you know the turning of that part of the that's the time of the year where the um the night and the day are equal and um also the magpies are very active in the spring and um, if you befriend them, um, they can be wonderful birds and um, they're very playful and everything, but um, you don't want to get on their wrong side. <laughs> well, that's not difficult. You just have to ride past where they're nesting on a bike. Trust yes. Me. Last spring was horrendous on my regular bike run. So yeah, so, yeah, particularly for bike riders. And and I, I was just I was just sharing how um, really the magpie reminds me of the Holy Spirit, that um, of how you know different seasons arrive in life and the the Holy Spirit can can spur us into action, um, but yeah sometimes with a kick in the pants. <laughs> Because <laughs> it, uh, yeah, we don't we don't always um, uh, we're not always befriending the Holy Spirit as we should, uh, and, and 
And yeah, I was finding quite a few pagans were sharing some of the reflections that I was giving on all that about the Holy Spirit and how it relates to magpies and stuff. So it's for me, it's just, um, yeah, it's just being who I am. Uh, it's sharing who I am and um, being honest about that. And it doesn't have to be anything more than that. Um, and uh, but it's also, I think it's 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 that being in tune with your context too. So faith in a in a more forest church approach, it's it's saying, well, look at where you are. It's I, I very much take inspiration from Jesus, where he's he's walking amongst the fields and he tell, tells stories, looking at you know the flowers and the fields and the the you know, trees by the sides of the roads and, you know, all sorts of things in his own natural context. And he uses that to explain what the kingdom of God's about. Well, somewhere along the way we we lost that and we, we think that, oh, we've got to explain it in a two ways to live sort of approach. And, okay, that works for some people. But, but um, there's those of us out there that find, yeah, there's there's other ways we like we like to hear things and, yeah, it's making space for people who prefer different ways. Well, speaking of honesty and sharing, thank you for both uh, for your sharing on the, pro- the these programs, as it will be when I edit, and uh, for, for being honest about where you're at. There's lots of stuff that we've talked about uh, off mic uh, that we could have talked about but didn't get to, and I'm sure we will again in another time. But for now, Matt, thanks for being on the program. Thank you. You have been listening to The Natural Philosopher. This podcast was written and produced by Mick Pope. The theme music is from Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons, conducted by John Harrison with the Wichita State University Chamber Players and downloaded from the Free Music Archive. You can subscribe to this podcast on Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can also like and comment on my Facebook page, Mick Pope, Natural Philosopher.